and welcome to Audiobook Stories Podcast. I can't wait to read some stories to you all. These stories are based on regular storybooks, so it's probably not really scary for the younger kids. Today, I'm going to go over some things you could do to prepare yourself for some stories. First, you could go to a cozy place to sleep in or just relax. Second, you could get your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or laptop to listen to stories. Third, you could turn on the podcast and enjoy three simple steps you could do to achieve to listen to some stories. Now let's start with our continuing with our first story. Our story today will be will still be Wings of Fire, Book 11, The Lost Continent. Let's get reading. Chapter 7. Blue inhaled sharply. I I thought he stammered. Wow, you're beautiful, she said wonderingly. I've never seen a silkwing in those shades of blue and purple before. Is that what your parents look like too? Um, he said, looking down at his azure talons. Not exactly, or I mean, I'm not sure. I've never met my father. Shouldn't you? Really? She said. She tipped her head at him, catching sparkles from the lamps in her glasses. Why don't you know your father? Is that normal for Silkwings? Don't you live with your parents? Or, I'm sorry, is that a question I'm not supposed to ask? I ask a lot of questions I'm not supposed to ask, apparently, according to most of my teachers. Also, my parents. Actually, according to pretty much every grown-up Hivewing. Too many questions, Cricket. Don't you know what happens to nosy little Hivewings? They lose those noses. Which is silly. I... I've never seen a dragonette without a nose, and I'm sure I can't be the first one with this many questions. What's your name? Oh, that's another question. Sorry, I'm Cricket. Blue, he said. I'm Blue. You sure are, she said, and giggled. Oh dear, I'm sorry. I bet you've heard that one before. He took a step closer to her, trying to rearrange his understanding of what kind of dragon she was. A hivewing who helped... (coughs) Who helped... Silkwings? That wasn't a thing. Um, shouldn't you be all mind-controlled too? She finished for him and hesitated. Yes, I should be. Every other hivewing is. I have no idea why I'm not. She flicked her wings and settled them again with a little laugh. I can't believe I've kept that secret for six years and the first dragon I'm telling is a strange silkwing. Katie did is going to be so mad. Is that what happened to everyone? Mind control? You didn't know about that, she said. I mean, I suppose I didn't either, until I saw it happen for the first time. She doesn't do it very often, but Queen Wasp can control every hivewing in the tribe, one at a time, or just one hive, or everyone at once if she wants to. Whoa, Blue said, reeling a little. I know, she said. Except you, he said. Except to me. Isn't that fascinating? Her face lit up like all three moons rising at once. I can't figure it out. There's nothing in any of these books about how she does it. Is it genetic? Am I some kind of mutation? Or could it be something we eat? But I eat everything, and like a lot of everything. I'm always hungry. It's so mysterious. There's seriously nothing about me that's different from all the other hive wings. Blue thought there was. He never met another hive wing like her. First of all, willing to talk to a silkwing as though they could be friends. Second of all, looking at him as if he was a real dragon, not a wingless curiosity or nuisance to be stepped over. 
That must be a weird, such a weird feeling, he said, having someone take over your body like that, making you say things and do things you wouldn't say or do yourself. Do you think they remember it afterward? Are they in there, feeling trapped while it's happening? They do remember it, she said. They remember pretty much everything. My sister, Katie did, said it's not a trapped feeling, though. It's more like something you really want to do what everyone else is doing. There's no struggle. She says it's kind of peaceful, having someone else make all the decisions for you a bit. Maybe, Blue thought of the tiny dragonettes attacking him and shivered. Except then later you'd feel like everything you did was still your choice, and you'd probably feel guilty about it, even though it wasn't really you at all. She looked surprised, and then her gaze drifted up the shelves of books as she thought about what he'd said. That's true, she said after a moment. I don't actually know if it even bothers them. I wonder how I can find out. She flicked her tail thoughtfully. You know, without getting my nose cut off, I think, do you ever feel bad about what Queen Moth makes you do? Is definitely one of those questions I'm not supposed to ask. Especially if you don't want anyone to know that the mind control doesn't work on you, he said. Right. Cricket fiddled with the earpiece of her glasses. Katie did is the only one who knows. I'm worried Queen Wasp might be angry if she found out, so I hide whenever it happens and hope no one notices. I won't tell anyone, Lou promised. She gave him a sweet, slightly sad smile, and it occurred to him that he might never have a chance to tell anyone anyway. He felt a sharp prickle of pain under his wristband. So what did you do? she asked. Why is the whole hive looking for you? What kind of criminal enterprise have I gotten myself involved in? She kept smiling, but Bloom noticed a shiver tremble across her wings. He guessed that there was a part of her that had suddenly realized she was alone with a dragon who might be dangerous. Him, of all dragons, scaring a hive wing? Nothing, he said quickly. He looked up at her and put one talon on the table, palm open. I promise, I'm totally harmless, the most harmless. Thoroughly, utterly, completely incapable of harm doing. Oh, she said. She thought for a second. That is reassuring. Thoroughly, utterly, completely reassuring, except for how it's exactly what a dangerous criminal would say. Is it really? he asked, wide-eyed. Cricket laughed. I don't know. I guess I'll have to ask all my dangerous criminal friends. He liked the way her laugh made sun-colored scales rippled all down her long neck. His head was starting to feel strangely woozy. What could the least dangerous dragon in the world say? He said, "Why would the least dra- why would the least dra- dangerous dragon in the world be running away from Hivewing guards?" She countered. "What po- what could he possibly have done that's so terrible? It made Queen Wasp bust out her mind control powers." The question hit Blue like an entire hive collapsing on his chest. "What did I do? I've always been a good dragon. Why is this happening to me?" <coughs> Oh no, she said, slipping off the table and crouching beside him as he folded to the floor. Why did that make you look so sad? What happened? She unfolded her wings to shelter the curve of his back. I don't know, he said. It was splendid having her wings over him, like being hugged by the sun. Although it actually would probably be terrible to be hugged by the sun. This was much cooler. What was he talking about? Oh right, the worst day ever. One moment, it was a normal metamorphosis day, and then suddenly Luna was on fire and Swordtail was attacking guards and Io was carrying me and I don't even 
I mean, I would never disobey a hiveling. It all just happened so fast and I was so scared. Were the books blurrier from this angle? Or were his eyes losing focus? It's your metamorphosis day, Cricket said. She tipped her head at his wing buds, but politely didn't touch them. A polite hive wing? How did she get so weird and perfect? Are you sure? They don't look ready yet. She picked up one of the, his talons and examined his wrist, wrist st- scales. No, no, Blue said. It's Luna's metamorphosis day, my sister. The one on fire, Cricket said. Is she all right? Why was she on fire? Lightning? I think I noticed lightning striking the hive today. How would fire even get into... She stopped suddenly, staring at him with her mouth open. Did you get frozen? He said in a panic. Are you being mind-controlled right now? Your sister's a flame silk? She whispered in her own voice. A real one? That's amazing! It is? You, you know about those? He tried to get to his feet, discovered that his knees had chosen an entirely different life goal, staggered a little sideways, and fell into her. Uh-oh, Cricket said, wrapping her wings around him. Let me see your wristband. He could barely move his arm over to where she could catch it. She tugged on his wristband, trying to slide a claw underneath it, but it was heavy and snug. Why is my... he tried to say, but apparently words were too hard. Really, it was just unreasonable to expect an entire word sentence groups arranged in order. Shh, she said, helping him lie down onto his back. Don't be scared, but there might be a toxin in your wristband. I read a study about that idea once, but I didn't think they'd implemented it yet. Do you feel anything? Like a needle poking you, kind of? I bet they rigged it to inject you if they could ever couldn't find you. Why? He mumbled. He wanted to ask if it was going to kill him. He thought he should probably be worried if it, he was about to die. But it would be much easier to close his eyes, wouldn't it? And stop thinking about it? It would be much easier to think about how sparkly Cricket's glasses were, and how they made her face all interesting, as though there were lots of unexpected angles and layers to it, like a prism. Prism. Words were funny. They're hoping you'll flop over somewhere and be easy to catch, she said wriggling a folded piece of paper between them in his wrist between his wristband and his scales. Joke's on them though, because you've got me to hide you. The paper caught on something hidden, tearing a little gash in his skin, and he yelped with startled pain. I'm sorry, Cricket cupped his face in her talons and caught his eyes with hers, like her gaze was amber and he was safe inside of it. Don't conk out. We might be able we we might have to go back into the tunnels if they start searching the school. Can't move, he slurred. I'm going to take off your wrist cuff, she said. Is that all right? Blue, can you hear me? Blink if that's all right with you. No way, he managed around his numb tongue. I'll be in so much trouble. Oh, beautiful dragon, she said sympathetically. Don't you know how much trouble you're already in? He closed his eyes. Something wet was leaking out of them. Apparently the toxin had affected his tear ducts, too. Crickled, Cricket scrambled up and disappeared from his side. He opened his eyes again, afraid that she'd be gone completely, but she was only across the library, carefully unscrewing one of the lamps from the wall with a dust rag wrapped in her cloth around her claws to protect them from the heat. Soon she had uncovered a small, glowing glass ball from inside the her, her, 
from inside the globe of the lamp. It shone bright enough to make Blue's eyes hurt. She folded the cloth over the ball and carried it to the librarian's desk, where she cleared away the books and the papers, and then set down a metal plate from the side drawer. Worm? Blue mumbled. Don't worry, I've done this before, she said. I mean, never anywhere quite so... flammable. But I'm sure it'll be fine. She dug through the rest of the drawers until she found something that looked like a long, thin pair of tweezers. Blue had seen tools like that before. He'd even used them a few times to entangle particularly messy snarls of silk. Cricket took a deep breath, unwrapped the ball, and caught it between the tweezers, setting it down on the metal plate. She threw the rag into a far corner, still holding the ball steady, and then picked up a marble paperweight shaped shaped like a coiled python. She moved so confidently and, effect- and efficiently that it didn't occur to Blue to be, fra- to be afraid, until the last moment when she looked up at the ceiling and whispered, Please help me not set the li- library on fire, clear sight. He couldn't have stopped her anyway, as she bought the pale- brought the pale gray snake smashing down on the light ball. Glass splintered across the desk, and a powerful burnt metal smell filled the air, but Cricket pounced forward with the tweezers and lifted something up. It looked like a filament of silk, as long as one of Blue's claws, but alight with fire from end to end. That was the source of the light in all lamps in the hive. Flame silk. How had he never known that before? He never even wondered how the lamps worked. He'd assumed it was just a hiving skill. If he had to guess, he would have imagined that perhaps some of them could create fire, like the dragons from the old stories who, who once lived across the sea. Scarcely breathing, Cricket eased across the room toward him, holding the flame silk thread in the tweezers. Could she really set the whole library on fire with that little thing? He wondered. If so, she's taking a big risk for me. She crouched beside him and lifted his left arm gently in her free claws. Don't move, she said. I mean, I know you can't, but really don't. With infinite caution, she traced the flame silk across his wrist cuff. It seared a smoking black line in the bronze, right across the W in Silkworm Hall. Hawker's going to kill me, Blue thought deliriously. When I get to the checkbook, he's going to make that very stern frowning face and tut-tut and check his list and grumble about paperwork and then stab me with his spear thingy. Cricket traced the line again and then again with the flame silk thread, burning it a little deeper each time. The smell of blacksmiths and melting chains filled the room, swapping the scent of old paper. And then, with a few careful passes later, the metal gave way and fell off his wrist, brushing against the scales and leaving a small scorch mark that hurt like a viper bite. Blue bit back a whimper. Oh, shoot, Cricket said. She jumped up and ran back to the librarian's desk, grabbed a small watering can, and poured it water over it from over his bird. She dropped, then she dropped the flame silk thread into the water that was left in the can. A sizzling, hissing sound and a cloud of steam billowed at the top of it. Blue's arm felt as though it were, it was floating. Maybe it would drift right up to the roof and bump around between the books on the top shelves. He felt untethered from the earth, a feeling that was tangled up with how close he was to Cricket, and how she maybe had superpowers, or at least the absolute very best brain in the world.
Cricket laughed. I don't know about that, she said, and he realized that he might he must have said something out loud. My teacher seemed to think my brain is terribly annoying. I like it, Blue said. Everything was felt still felt blurry, but his mouth was working a little better, or at least words were coming out of it in order, even though those words didn't seem to be waiting for an approval from the rest of him. He managed to sit up and smile at her. It's my new favorite brain. And then the world kind of tipped sideways and went dark, and Blue slipped quietly into the nothing. Chapter 8. Blue had the impression he should wake up. That might, that it might be a good idea. That the reason it was a good idea might have something to do with how wherever he was sleeping wasn't swaying in the breeze the way it was supposed to. This web hammock he'd fallen asleep in was weirdly still and hard underneath him. There, and there was someone shaking his shoulder. Someone whose wings brushed his face sometimes. Mother? Mother never smelled like books and apples the way this dragon did. Are you awake? The dragon whispered. Blue, if you're not, could you be, please, now-ish? Blue said, which was odd because he'd been trying to say, you bet, but apparently, was good enough for the dragon with all the questions because she started trying to nudge him up to his feet. Oh, questions. It's Cricket. What are you smiling about? She said curiously. I hope that's a good sign. Do you think you could smile and stand up at the same time? I would love you... I would love to let you sleep more, but I really think we need to move. She froze for a moment, with him leaning heavily against her shoulder. Now the library was coming into focus around him. The glow of the lamps, the rows and rows of books, the sound of trampling talons from the hallway outside. Um, the what? He pointed at the door in alarm and she nodded. That's why I woke you, she whispered. Quick, into the tunnels. She bundled him under the table and through the trapdoor. His arms fell all wobbly, and his tail seemed to be entirely in the way, but somehow he managed to crawl into the dark space beyond. He dragged himself forward so the Cricket could scrunch in behind him. The glow from the library lamps vanished as Cricket pulled the trapdoor shut. Blue started to retreat farther into the shadows, but she got his nearest talon and put one claw to her mouth in warning. Blue froze. In that instant, he heard the library door slam open. Three sets of talons thundered in, shaking the room so that a couple of books toppled off the tall shelves, and a small cloud of book dust wafted through the cracks in the door. In the trapdoor, he twisted his neck to peek over Cricket's shoulder. In the glimpses he could see as they moved around, the hiveling's eyes were blank at white pearls. So the queen was still mind-controlling them. He wondered how long he'd been unconscious. He wondered how long she could keep it up. He wondered if she planned to keep them all as her zombies until she found him, no matter how long that took. And then his heart stopped in his chest as he remembered the wrist cuff Cricket had burned off him. He couldn't see it from his ankle, but wasn't it still lying out there on the floor? Wouldn't they see it and know immediately that he'd been here? But several, several agonizing moments passed, and the searching dragons didn't cry out or roar for backup or hiss in tram- triumph. They moved mechanically, soundlessly, through the room, checking every obvious hiding spot. One crouched down to look under the table, and Blue closed his eyes in fright, not daring to breathe. But the trapdoor must have looked like part of the wall, because the hive wing, jet black with flecks of red along his ears, wings, and claws, only grunted and moved on. Cricket twitched suddenly, as if startled, and Blue realized he was leaning against her side, their tails entangled, their talons touching. 
He'd been too terrified to notice, and he was afraid that pulling away would make a noise like the urchers might hear. He checked her face, or what little of it he could see in the tiny bars of light. She had her gaze fixed on one of the hivelings, a yellow-orange dragon freckled all over with box spots, but he couldn't quite interpret her expression. Dismay? Regret? Anger? What was she feeling, he wondered, hiding from her own tribe, in the dark with a stranger, risking her queen's wrath to help a silkwing. He wondered about the hivelings out there, too. Their sweet family of evening of slides and seesaws and zebra, zebra meat snacks had abruptly turned into a dragon hunt. Everything they had been planning to do tonight had been ripped out from under them. They didn't even know where their dragon's nets were, because right now, finding blue was all they cared about. The giggling, the giggling little dragonettes had gone from playing tag to prowling the shadows with the hive, snar- with snarling teeth, every scale ready to attack. How could they all go back home after this? Back to family dinners and wing aerodynamics homework, knowing that someone could take over their minds and change their whole lives at any moment. The three hivelings touched their foreheads with one talon, all the, at the same time with exact mirrored movements. Nothing in the library. Nothing in the library, they said in unison. A ripple of fury crossed each of their faces simultaneously. He must be here somewhere. Keep looking! They marched out the door, but Blue could hear their town steps in the corridor for a long time after they were out of sight. Cricket opened her mouth to say something, and this time he was the one to shush her. His antennae was unfurled softly, feeling the vibrations in the air. Now that he was calmer and more awake, he could sense at least twenty other dragons searching in the school. He could also feel Cricket's heart beating, very close to his and almost as fast. Don't be scared, he tried to think to her. There was no reason not to be. If they were caught, he was sure she'd be in awful trouble. But he'd do anything he could to keep her out of it. He'd let them catch him first. He'd re- he reached out carefully through the dark and took one of her talons, pressing it to his own heart. I'm glad you're here with me. She looked at him. Small. She looked up at him, small cracks of light dappling her face in golden shadow, and felt her pulse jumped to match his. Oh, that's this is the thing that's forbidden. Blue realized this feeling, looking at a hive like this, her looking back. If they could be in more trouble than they already were, this is how. This was how. But maybe it wasn't what she was feeling. Maybe he was still woozy from the toxin and confused by his life being appended. Maybe he was just imagining the flutter in their entwining heartbeats. In their entwining heartbeats. His antennae twitched quietly, following the vibrations of the dragons moving away from this section of the school. I think they all gone upstairs, he whispered. Is there an upstairs? Yes. How can you tell by where they are? She whispered back. By your antennae? He nodded. I found some old biology books that said hivelings used to have antennae, too, she said softly. But when I asked my science teacher about it, he said to not be impermanent, and then the books disappeared from the library. She sighed. Everything interesting is off-limits. Why can't we study our own evolution? Don't you want to know what the tribes were like 2,000 years ago when Clearsight arrived? I've never thought about it, he admitted. But she was right. If the Hivelings were all descendants of Clearsight, what would, what had they been like before she came to Pentala? They stayed there, quietly, in the dark, with their talons and tails entwined, 
For a long time, as the sounds leaked, of the search tramped above them, around them, in and out, of, and along the halls at every room of the enormous school. Blue felt the jarring thumps of tables being overturned, the rattling clatter of closets being emptied, their, all their contents clawed out and thrown to the floor. He felt tremendously sorry for whoever had to clean up all this tomorrow. He guessed Queen Wasp wouldn't helpfully brainwash them into doing that. At last, all the vibrations faded, and Blue tested the air until he was sure the school was empty again. They're all gone, he whispered. That's a pretty cool superpower, she said, smiling at his antennae as they curled back in. Not as cool as knowing everything about everything, he said. She blinked. Are you talking about me? I hardly know anything. There's so much I don't know. I mean, yet. One day I will, I hope. I'm working on it. She wrinkled her snout as though the existence of unanswered questions was one of the greatest trials of her life. Like how Queen Wasp's mind control works. I really want to know that. Do you wish, he hesitated, then plunged into his question. Do you wish you were like the other hive wings? If you could make yourself um, mind controllable, would you? No, she said, her wings brushing his sides as they flared out and hit the walls of the tunnel. Would you? Who would? No, I'd fix it so it didn't work on anyone, if I could. That's what you would do, too, isn't it? At the very least, I'd fix Katie did. Oh, he said. Was that your sister, the yellow one with the black spots you were watching? She exhaled. Yes, she's my sister and my best friend. She normally looks much kinder than that. It must be awful, Blue said, studying her face, seeing someone you love transformed, like her brain and her soul were stolen. She looks like her, but she's not, and you don't know what she might do or how she might treat you, but you know you can't reach her. Cricket tilted her head at him. That's right, she said. That's exactly what it's like. Katie did said it's fine, and she doesn't mind, since it happens so rarely, but she can't see herself all creepy-eyed. She doesn't know what it feel of, feels like for me to have to hide from her. She shivered slightly, and Blue realized he was still holding her talon. He let go of it reluctantly. I hope you do find a way to save her, he said, and all of them. I know the grunting one who checked under the table, too, Cricket said quickly, as though she were trying to change the subject so she wouldn't cry. His name's Bombardier, He's, but he's awful, so there's not much difference between regular him and brain-dead him. He thinks I'm in love with him, if you've ever wondered what the most enormous arrogance looks like. I guess I still have to save him, but maybe, like, last... Why didn't they see my wrist cuff? Blue asked. Or the broken glass and the famous thread in the watering can? I cleaned it all, all up, of course, she said. Didn't you notice between your snores? I wasn't, did I? I didn't, did I? Cricket laughed. You're very, no, you're a very polite sleeper. Don't worry. She glanced out at, at the library again. The only thing I didn't do was replace the missing light globe. But those burn out or get stolen all the time, so hopefully no one will connect it to you. So every light globe in the hive has a bit of flame silk inside it? He said tentatively. Of course, she said, every light globe in every hive. It would be tough to live the way we do without flame silk. We'd be all bumping around in the dark, treading on everyone's claws. Plus, we need it for everything else that's made with fire. Metalwork, glass. She touched her spectacles self-consciously. 
Do all the hyphens know about flame silks? He asked. Because I never, because I never heard it of them until today. I think they know the queen has a source of flame silk, she said thoughtfully, but most of them probably don't think where, about where it comes from very much. It's just something you order when you need it. Blue opened and closed his mouth on his next question. He remembered the eerie golden lava erupting from Luna's wrists and weaving around her scales. Her silk was a, a commodity to the hive wings, something to be ordered and bought and sold and used. If your sister was a flame silk, is a flame silk, Cricket said, reaching for his wrist. Does that, does that mean you're going to be a flame silk too? She traced one claw over the spot where his silk would come out, and he shivered. I don't know, he said. Io said I would be, but we weren't taught anything about flame silks at Sir Silkworm Hall. But that must be why they're chasing me, right? She said. Queen Wasp would never let a flame silk wander around her hives unguarded. I've never been guarded before, he said. I've never done anything wrong. I'm really good at following the rules. She doesn't have to worry about me, he frowned, touching the spot on his forehead that was starting to hurt. Maybe she just doesn't know that. Maybe I could go to her and explain that I'm a loyal silkling. Maybe if I promise I'll be careful, she'll let me go back to my normal life. And Luna, too. Luna isn't dangerous. Cricket hesitated. I think, I think Hivewing policy is that all free flame silks are dangerous, no matter what they say. She unlatched the trapdoor and crawled back into the library. Blue followed her as she pulled a book off one of the high shelves, flattening her wings a little to lift herself up to where she could reach it. She flipped through the pages and then slid it under his nose. Scarlet colors leaped off the page, assaulting his eyeballs. The picture was a of a hive on fire, burning from top to bottom, with the screaming hiveling faces dimly visible through the smoke. At the top, huge dark letters proclaimed, The Consequences of Unchained Flame Silks. Yikes, he said. I guess that's supposed to be you, she said, pointing at his silk wings standing in the middle of the burning hive with fire pouring out of his wrists. The illustrated dragon had a gleeful, unhinged grin on his face as he torched the city. Blue shuddered. I would never, he said. Why would anyone ever? That's just horrible. Cricket tugged the book back over to her and turned to the next page, studying the words. Her eyes darted so quickly across the text that Blue couldn't believe she was actually absorbing any of it, until she said, Okay, here, flame silk genetics. A dragon with one flame silk parent has a 50% chance of being a flame silk too. So we know Luna is, but you might or might not be. She looked over at the top of her glasses at him. Do you think you are? Do your wrists ever feel like they're burning? What symptoms did Luna have? She didn't have any, Blue said. I mean, not until today, when her flames, when her silk started coming in. Uh, Arg! now there's lava everywhere. But she's been totally normal before now. So there's no way to know if you are or not until your metamorphosis day, Cricket said. They must want to keep you locked up until then, anyway, in case you try to run away. My friend Io's the one who made me run away. It shouldn't have occurred to me. It wouldn't have occurred to me to run. Blue pointed out. At least not until they started chasing me. What's the chrysalis? Cricket asked. The what? When we first met in the shed, you asked if I was with the chrysalis. Blue felt a twist of guilt in his chest. He was pretty sure that whatever. The chrysalis was. Hivelings weren't supposed to know about it. 
even smart, sympathetic halflings with interesting glasses. Aya would be furious if she found he blurted it out to the first dragon he met. A cricket was studying him curiously. Is it a secret? she said. A silkling secret? Do you guys have lots of secrets from us? Can you tell me some of them? I promise not to tell anyone. There's so much I don't know about silk wings, but father won't let me ask the servants anything. I don't really know what it is, he admitted, trying to stem the tide of questions. My friend just told me there they'll help me if I could find them, but I have no idea how to do that. He slid the famed silk book over and studied it himself, hoping that he hadn't hurt Cricket's feelings. So... If flame silk is so useful, then Queen Moth probably isn't killing them, right? Of course she isn't, Cricket said, startled. We're not barbarians, Blue. The Queen's a little scary, but she's not a murderer. Blue would have said the same thing himself this morning. But something about watching those guards surround Luna and then hiding from white-eyed, mind-controlled dragons was making him a little less certain about the tr- Queen's trustworthiness. Do you think I should turn myself in? He asked hesitantly. That sounded like the right thing to do, except that it felt very, very wrong. Ayo's warning that he couldn't trust any high wings rang in his ears. And here I am, of course, doing exactly that. Cricket thought for a moment, tapping her claws on the book. No, she finally said, slowly. They won't kill you, but if you are a flame silk, they'll... Well, you'll end up with the other flame silks, I guess. Where's that? he said with a sudden rush of hope. That's where Luna will be. Will be. Oh, I'm sorry I made you look so excited, Cricket said anxiously. Nobody knows where the flame silks are kept. Are you sure? Blue asked. Someone must know. You're right, she said, leaping to her feet. Let's think. Flame silk orders go out all the time because each thud only burns for about one cycle of the smallest moon before it fades, which means someone has to get the flame silk from the tr- dragons producing it to fill the orders. So whose job is it? And someone must kept them fed and taken care of and guarded, Blue put in. She flinched. Yes, probably that too. She started paced, pacing up and down between the library tables. And of course Queen Wasp knows, so there must be a way to trace the flame cell back to wherever the dragons are. This is definitely a solvable mystery. Cricket hurried over to the librarian's desk and opened one of the bottom drawers. All right, forms, where are you? She's always complaining about how much, how many there are to fill out. Order forms, replacing library supplies. You would think a librarian would all be alphabetizing her folders, wouldn't you? You, Do you think she noticed if I alphabetized them for her? Oh, light globes. Here, she pulled out a sheaf of papers and narrowed her eyes at them. Blue glanced at one of the lamps. It was weird to think that there was a tiny thread of silk in there, glowing and burning. It was even weirder to to think that the thread had come from a dragon very much like him, or Luna. A dragon trapped somewhere, spilling flame from her arms for hivelings to gather and snip into little useful bits that could be packaged and sold in across the continent. A dragon whose whole life would be about producing flame silk for hivelings and nothing else. Maybe it came from my father. The thought dazed him for a moment. His father was a flame silk, kept under guard wherever other flame silks were kept. That's why Blue had never met him. He'd only been brought out for a moment to father more dragons, in the hopes of creating more flame silks, Blue guessed. 
which meant Queen Moth knew exactly where Luna and Blue might come. She created them on purpose, for that purpose. Hmm, Cricket said. It looks like the order forms get sent to a department in Wasp Hive, so maybe the flame silks are there, or maybe the department forwards it on. If we can figure out where they are, Blue said, maybe I can see go, go see what it's like. Maybe it's not so terrible. Maybe that would help me decide whether I should turn myself in. Cricket tipped her head up at him. And if it is terrible, she asked, would you want to rescue your sister? I, yes, he admitted. Of course that was what he was really thinking, and of course Cricket had figured it out. But I'm not exactly the right dragon for the job. Why not? Well, I mean, he waved vaguely at himself. I'm not very... I don't like making trouble. Troublemakers. I need Swordtail, he blurted. He's the one who should rescue her. All right, Cricket said, whisking the forms back into the drawer. She smiled brightly at Blue. Then let's go get him. Chapter 9 It's not that simple, Blue argued, following Cricket into the dim hallway beyond that library. Swordtail attacked a bunch of five-wing guards. He's either on misbehavior's way or somewhere worse by now, and I can't exactly stroll around the hive with everyone looking for me. I bet I can solve that problem, Cricket said. Let's think. Both problems, maybe? Will you let me try? Um, sure, Blue said, distracted by the school around him. Rows of cubby holes lined the corridor, many of them overflowing with crumpled papers, books, sticky bags of half-eaten nectar snacks, seed packets, and little buckets of half of dirt. Every few steps there was a glass terrarium embedded in the wall with something growing in it. Tidy clusters of blue forget-me-nots in one, long white carrots in another, a prick- prickly cactus balls bristling in an orderly row from a third... "'Whoa,' Blue said. "'It's so planty in here. "'We're an agriculture track school. "'Do silkwings have those?' Cricket said. "'They passed one glass case that was full of water, "'crowded with dark flaps of purple seaweed. "'Blue squinted at it and realized it was, that it was lit "'by a small light globe on the roof of the terrarium. "'They all were. "'Tiny flame silk suns kept these plants alive.' "'Maybe,' Blue said.' But I think they usually figure out which job to assign us after we finish school. Our lessons are with things like the history of the leafing war, silk weaving, reading, web structure, and following directions. Lots of following directions. I wish I could go to your school for a day, Cricket said, her wings twitching as though she might fly out one of, I'd fly out one of those skylights at any moment. I'd love to hear what other dragons are learning, wouldn't you? Are your teachers interesting? How big is your library? Do you have music classes? I wish we did. I don't understand music at all, and I really want to. But our curriculum is very focused, so we can all become farmers and gardeners. That's what this is all about. She waved her claws at the corridor walls. Every student is assigned a terrarium for practice. Oh, Blue said. You don't seem like a farmer to me. I'd be an awesome farmer if I wanted to be, she said, which I don't. I want to be a librarian or a scientist or an inventor, but I'm a terrible farming student. Apparently, there's only one way to do things, and that's how it's always been done, and there's no point in trying to innovate, Cricket. It's a waste of seeds, and oh dear, why can't you just grow potatoes like a useful dragon?
She paused at one of the terrariums and tapped it lightly with a claw. This is mine. Blue was pretty sure he could have guessed it on his own. Unlike the other orderly terrariums, this box had a riot of leaves and color, although as though a host of sunflowers had thrown a gala and some marauding butterflies had crashed it. A velvety orange petals jostled for space with elegant trailing spider plants. Sapphire blue bulbs peeked out from behind heart-shaped leaves with pink edges. It's like your brain as a garden, Blue said wonderingly. Cricket laughed, and equally popular with my teachers. She said, Cricket, what a disaster! Why didn't you use one type of seed like all the other students? Why must everything be you touch be such a mess? Blue stepped closer and peered through the tangle of foliage. Deep in the heart of her terrarium, well hidden by the other plants, there was a tiny tree. It was no taller than a length of two claws, but it had a trunk and a miniature bl- branches and perfect little tufts of forest green needles all over. It was beautiful. That's, he breathed, that's a real, how did you? I found the seed on one of the re- gathering field trips. I had no idea what it was until it started to grow. She smiled at it wistfully. I had a feeling you see it. Most dragons don't. They think my terrarium is too messy to look at for very long. It offends their eyes or something. But my botany teacher finally spotted it last week. He wants me to uproot it and throw it away, she sighed. Poor little innocent tree. She turned and kept walking, and Blue followed her, although he wished he he could stay and stare at the tree for a bit longer. He couldn't believe it was real. Surely Cricket loved it. It looked like a little loved tree. That's so sad, he said. What an awful thing to ask you to do. You brought it to life. I'm not going to let my tree die, she said firmly. But where can I hide it? Someone with light where I can visit, but no one will find it. I'll figure something out. She pushed open a door at the end of the hall, revealing a room with long desks covered in glass beakers and small pots of soil. A metal cabinet at the back of the room was lit by a tiny globe inside, and the shelves were lined with neatly labeled bottles of liquid, organized by color. The top shelf ranged from a bright ruby red to a pale pink. The two middle shelves were shades of lemon and emerald and lime, and the bottom shelf held a few milky white bottles and several with neatly colorless liquids in them. Blue crouched to look at one of them and realized it was slightly aquamarine when the light hid it in a certain way. He didn't understand any of the labels printed on the bottles. They were letters and numbers and obscure squiggle symbols in between, but none of them formed recognizable words. This is our chemistry lab, Cricket said. We use some of these to help plants grow. Others will kill certain weeds if you apply them the right way. But a lot of these have other non-botanical uses, too. How many do you think I can take without Professor Earthworm noticing? Take? Blue said, startled. You can't steal from your school. She paused with a vial the color of chamoli tea in her claws. But, Blue, these will help us. Don't you want to get your friend? Yes, but stealing is wrong, he stammered. He imagined the chemistry teacher coming in tomorrow morning and finding bottles missing. Wouldn't she be upset? Wouldn't she feel guilty and worried about who had taken them and who, what might be done with them? She might blame her students. Someone might get in trouble unfairly. You're really good at following rules, aren't you? Cricket said, intrigued. Like, you really believe in them. Don't you? He said. Doesn't everyone? She bought a... Th- she thought about that for a moment. He liked the way she stopped and thought carefully about the things he said. 
Most dragons had already their ideas settled in their heads, and if they paused to think before responding, it was only about how to explain to you that you were wrong. But Cricket seemed to take information and questions and hold them up against the things she thought she knew to see if there was anything new she missed. Weird, she said finally. I usually think of rules as things that get in the way of all the stuff I really want to know. I mean, how how can don't ask questions ever be a good rule? Or only borrow one book at a time from the library? That's just Liddy Cross. No one ever explains rules like that in a sensible way. But don't hurt other dragons. That's a rule I think everyone believes in, right? So, I guess I believe in some rules, and I think rules can, in general can be useful. But I also think it's alright to stop and question some of the rules sometimes if they feel wrong to you. Doesn't that make sense? But don't steal is a rule everyone agrees on too, isn't it? He asked. I think that help dragons who need help might be more important than don't steal, Cricket said. I mean, turn over fugitives to Queen Wasp when she's looking for them is probably a rule too. You know? But I think that you're dangerous. But I don't think that you're dangerous. And I want to know more about flame silks and silk wings. I think I can help you. I'd, I'd like to help you. Blue looked back at the citrus-colored vials. He didn't want to drag her into more danger than he already put her in. But he did need help. And more important, Swordtail and Luna needed help. This isn't the first rule I'm breaking, he thought. The first rule I broke was running even after the guards told me to stop. He felt shaken all the way through his scales at the memory of disobeying Hivewing orders. But if I'm going to rescue Luna, or at least get Swordtail to rescue Luna, then this won't be the last rule I break either. You're right, he said. Oh my goodness, she said, looking genuinely startled. No one has ever said that to me. Then the dragons you know haven't been listening to you very well, he said. I bet you're right about almost everything. Ooh, the perfect title for my memoir she said, grinning. Right about almost everything. By Cricket. He laughed, letting her smile chase away his nerves. She carefully selected six vials from the back rows, rolled them in a thick black cloth, and tucked them in a bag she tied sideways across her chest. One more stop, she said. They hurried through the school again. Blue unfurled his antennae at each corner, but he couldn't sense any other dragons anywhere in the building. The hunt for him had moved on. Or... Maybe paused for the night, he hoped without much optimism. The next room Cricket took him into was a huge and abutted side of the hive, because there was an enormous glass window all along one side of it. Outside, it was very dark, with only fragments of the savannah grass shifting in the silver bits of moonlight. The three moons and most of the stars were hidden by thick clouds. After moments of... After a few moments of blinking around, Blue realized this was the art room he had glimpsed briefly through the cracks in the tunnels. Here was the easel with its perfectly perpendicular lines of blue and black. In fact, there was an entire row of easels with exactly the same painting on each one. Blue wasn't sure it was painted. It seemed more like a plan for a gardening plot. In another corner of the room, a long table was lined with large sheets of paper, each one with a nearly exact replica of an orange painted in the center. The orange had mirrored in all its this intention, was still posed nonchalantly on a stool in the front of the table. Blue looked around, but none of the artwork looked like Cricket's glorious terrarium. Where is yours? he asked. 
Oh, I'm not allowed to take art classes anymore, Cricket said with a kind of carelessness that he was pretty sure she was faking. You can probably guess why. Good heavens, Cricket, he said, putting on the voice she'd used several times already. No one has ever used that many colors on one piece of paper before. Look at this mess. Why can't you just draw a normal blue blueberry like every other dragon? She laughed so much she had he had to catch her before she fell into one of the easels. Were you there? She gasped, wiping tears from her eyes. That's exactly what Principal Lover sounded like. I bet your art was beautiful, he said. A beautiful pile of shredded scraps when he was, she was done with it, she said with a half shrug. I had dreams for a while that, that bee eaters and weaver birds found the pieces and tucked them into their nests all across the grasslands. She wrestled another cabinet open, this time revealing rows of color-coded paint pots and drawers of the cleanest paintbrushes Blue had ever seen, most of them as thin as his antennae. Um, he said as she started selecting brushes and paint. Do I know what's happening? We're going to disguise you, she said with delight. What color have you always wanted to be? I mean, I think your scales are perfect. Well, like you said, you can't wander the hive looking for you, like looking like yourself, can you? That's a purple anyone was bought from the next hive over. For a moment, I thought it would be so cool to disguise you as a hive wing, but then that I was like, silly cricket, that won't work. There are no wingless hive wings. So what do you think, orange? Our cook is mostly orange. You're going to paint me, Blue said. Or you could paint yourself, but I think I'd better do it, unless you're good at it, are you? I have no idea, I said. I've never painted a dragon before. Me neither, she confessed. But I think it'll work if we use the right paint. Do you mind? Can I try? You think, he echoed nervously. Maybe a darker color, to be sure it'll cover yours, she said. Are there any sort of darkish silk wings? Swordtail has mostly dark blue scales, Blue said. I've never seen dark greens and reds. I've seen dark greens and reds and all shades of brown. Cricket pulled out a range of chocolate, maroon, and navy paints. All right, she said, hurting him into a drop into a drop cloth that covered part of the floor. Stay really, really still. Blue closed his eyes and froze. I'm putting myself in her talons, he thought. I really, really hope she knows what she's doing. Because if she doesn't, and someone recognizes me, and we get caught, we're both going to be in worse trouble than I can imagine. Chapter 10 I don't see how this could work, Blue protested as Cricket dipped a paint brush into the paint color of the sea during a storm. Won't I just look like a silkwing with paint all over me? Not unless they look closely, and no one looks closely at silkwings. She started dabbing paint lightly across the purple scales on his back. It felt like salamanders prowling over him, tiny wet toes sliding along each individual scale. It felt like purrs and whispers and ferns full of dewdrops trailing along his nerves. Cricket switched to a sponge to smooth out the paint, and then to another brush for a different color. She hesitated, lightly touching his shoulder. I'm going to paint around your wing buds, but I won't touch them, all right? He nodded. It was hypnotizing, the gentle brushing touch sweeping all over him. He felt half-bewitched, as though the toxin from his wristband might be still running through his veins. Cricket, why are you helping me? He asked. Her talons stilled for a moment, then kept going. I don't know, maybe I know what it's like to hide while everyone is mind-controlled, and because I've never met a flimsilk and I'd love to know more about you, and because you're... She paused. 
struggling for a word. Pathetic, he offered. Desperate, a tragic story? No, she said. Not at all. Not that at all. You're... She trailed off again. Aha, he said. Devastatingly handsome. He laughed and poked his neck with the other end of the paintbrush. Stop it. You mustn't make me laugh while I'm wielding paint at you. She, he smelled cinnamon as she leaned in to paint around his ears. After a moment, she said, I mean, you're not not, but I was trying to say is interesting. You're interesting, and you just spend all day with dragons like Lombardier and Earthworm, who are definitely not interesting. Huh, he said. She wants to study me, he caught himself thinking. I'm one of the forbidden library books come to life, that's all. A chance for her to learn about more about my tribe and flame silk. It's not really about me, which is better, safer, for both of us. He sighed and closed his eyes. He imagined a thousand moths weaving a web of silk around him, shrouding him in a second skin. The paint felt like a tiny beetle shell as it dried, glossy and thin and hard. After a while, Cricket said, Hmm, what do you think? Blue half expected to see something like a terrarium when he opened his eyes. He was a little afraid he'd look like a rose garden on fire. But the dragon looking back at him from the cabinet mirror was a nondescript silkling in dark blues and the brands of dead leaves, with touches of deep red barely visible along his spine and snout. There were a few blobby spots around his claws, and his brighter blue peeked through here and there, but for most, for the most part, the paint was even. He looked like a dragon no one would glance at twice. He blinked. Wow, thank you, Cricket. It's not perfect, but hopefully it'll get you out of the hive, she said apolo- apologetically, especially if everyone is still looking for you. Out of the hive, he thought with a shiver. He'd never gone any farther than the webs around Cicada Hive. Unlike Luna, he never even wanted to. I guess I'm ready to go find Swordtail, he said uncertainly. He never walked the streets of the hive alone at night before. He always went to home to the webs before dark. Burnett and Silverspot must be so worried about him. When she made him think, Cricket, don't you have to go home? She glanced out at the dark savannah and the twinkling lights of the other hives in the distance. I doubt my father would notice one way or another. Katie did, Will, but she knows I sometimes hide for a while after Queen Wasp takes over. Everyone. I get nervous that it'll happen again right away. And it's hard to be around dragons. Even Katie did, after seeing that. She started cleaning away the paints and brushes. Blue moved to help her, but she stopped him. No, stay until you're completely dry. Anyway, she's the only one who cares where I am, and she'll cover for me. For how long, he wondered. How far would Cricket's curiosity take her before she decided to leave him to his fate? All the way to Wasp Hive? To Luna? Did he dare hope for that much? Where do you think Swordtail is? Cricket asked, tucking the last pot of blue paint into place. Blue noticed that she'd put two of the pots in the wrong order. One was darker than the other, so it should come later in line, and reached past her to switch them. My only guess is misbehavior in this way, Blue said. He doesn't like being told what to do, so he's been there before. But I'm afraid, I mean, he never actually attacked a hyphen like he did today. He felt a fizzing twist of ancient anxiety in his stomach. What would the hivelings do with his sore tail if they decided he was really dangerous? It's still the first stop, even if he'll be moved to prison after that, Cricket said. So that's probably where he is. I've never been to misbehavior's way. She leaned forward and lightly tested the paint on his snout. Although Father is always saying that that's what my teacher should do with me. Like, we all know it's inevitable. Just stick her there now.
that kind of thing. You've never... Haven't you at least walked along it? He asked. He was flummoxed when she shook her head. But really, it's only a couple levels up from here. My school has two field trips there every year. Field trips? Cricket echoed, fluttering her wings back. What for? What can they possibly teach you there? Isn't it kind of scary for little dragonettes? She glanced around, making sure all the traces of their activity were gone, and started for the door. Yes, he said feverishly. I found it terrifying every time. I still do. That's kind of um the point, I think. His scales felt crackly and strange as he walked behind her, but kind of cool too, like wearing a mask fitted exactly to his face. Oh, she said. So it's to teach you to follow the rules. Poor little silkwing dragonettes. Do all your schools do that? I think so. Do they spend a lot of time scaring you? She asked, like on purpose. He shrugged. It was hard for him to concentrate on their conversation because they had reached the front door of the school. Although the narrow windows on either side, he could see slivers of the prehistoric shapes of the playground structures outside, the ones that he'd last seen swarming with dragons trying to attack him. Now it looked deserted, like the bones of a whale graveyard at the bottom of the sea. Cricket stopped and peered out, pressing her face to the window so she could see as far as in each direction as possible. I don't see anyone, she whispered. She hesitated, her tail flicking back and forth uncertainly as she stared out at the playground. Blue's heart was beating like a trapped insect throwing itself at the glass walls of its prison. But suddenly he had a sudden bolt of understanding. She felt the same way. Cricket had never gone outside while the mind control was happening. She was as scared as he was. I'll go first, he whispered. Really? She glanced at him, her eyes darting worriedly over his painted scales. But don't worry. I have my awesome disguise, remember? He said. If the hive wings are still under Queen Watch's control, they'll notice that you're not right away. But with luck, they won't notice a random silkwing wandering the park. I'll signal once I know it's safe for you to come out or not. She hesitated again before nodding. He took a deep breath, pushed open the heavy door, and slipped down the stairs. Chapter 11 Blue walked cautiously through the park, glancing around for dragons but seeing no one. He made his way to the ledge and looked out at the cloud-covered moons rustling and rustling Savannah. What happened to Io? Did she get away? There were no signs, no clues. Nothing in the quiet around him indicated that a massive dragon hunt had started earlier this evening. He ducked his head and started back toward the school. Halfway there, he saw a dragon hurrying out of a side street. Half in the shadows, the stranger picked up the toy that had been left on one of the structures and paused, squinting at Blue. You better get back where you belong, he called in a sharp voice. The hunting parties will be leaving at dawn tomorrow. Yes, sir, Blue said, trying to walk like he had a destination and study the dragon at the same time. The stranger grumbled something and left, and in the glow of the streetlights, Blue caught a glimpse of black stripes on his back. A hivewing, one with his own eyes and his own mind. The queen had released her tribe, for now. Blue waited until the hivewing was out of sight, then beckoned to Cricket. She slipped out of the school, and together they hurried down one of the deserted streets out toward the outer spiral. Inside a few of the houses, Blue saw lights glowing or moving around. He wondered how long ago the queen had let them go. He wondered how long it had, how long, he wondered how long it had taken all the families to reunite and how they were all feeling. 
Were any of them feeling resentful to the queen, or did they blame him for disrupting their evening instead? Or perhaps they all felt as if they'd been useful and important helpers in search of the dangerous criminal. Me, a dangerous criminal, when I've all I've ever wanted to stay is to stay out of trouble. Wait! That Hyvary, Blue said softly, he said something about hunting parties leaving at dawn. To look for you? Grace asked. Uh-oh, that means we need to move fast if we want to get a head start on them. There were guards slumped at the entrance to the spiral, but their eyes glanced over Blue's muted colors, noted the haughty tilt to Cricket's snout, and slanted away, uninterested. Cricket went first, and Blue followed, keeping his head low, acting part of the, the part of a humble servant following his mistress's midnight whim for a stroll. She paused a few levels up and glanced back at him. He nodded. Through here, this was one of the only levels with a gate, although it wasn't locked. There was no risk of anyone escaping, after all. Blue suspected the gate was there, so Hivings wouldn't have to accidentally see the prisoners on their way between the levels. Cricket pushed open the gate, and they emerged onto a path that was roughly cobbled with chunks of sharp stones. She winced at one of them as one stabbed her feet, and then looked up at the columns that lined the walkway. Normally, Blue came here in a crowd of other dragons, young silklings all wide-eyed and hushed with terror. He always tried to stay near the back, so he wouldn't have to look at the prisoners too closely. But they were all impossible to miss, mounted on stone pedestals for the whole world to stare at, looming over the heads of visiting students. The stony path wound all around the level, in and out over the roughly shaped hills, until it connected back with itself at the beginning again. In in between the prisoner pedestals were engraved tablets listing the rules of the highs, consequences for breaking them, and odes to the greatness of the Queen Wasp, and quotes from historical figures about obedience, safety, and community. Some of the quotes were from Clearsight herself. Blue had always liked that she sounded like she cared about the rules as much as he did. Above each prisoner hung a small spotlight. On an each pedestal there was always a list posted of that prisoner's crimes, described in dramatic detail. Tonight, the first few pedestals on Miss Behavior's way were empty, but as they walked to the path, they saw figures on the ones up ahead. Cricket gave a start, jumping back to crash into Blue when she noticed the first one a few paces away. Sorry, she whispered. Is that... is it real? A real dragon, I mean? Or is it a statue? I can't... but I can't hear it breathing, can't I? That's a dragon, Blue confirmed. A silkwing, but not swordtail. The colors were all wrong, mostly white and brown with flecks of green. She watched as a mobile prisoner for a long, wary moment. It's not moving at all. She can't, Blue pointed out. None of them can move. They drew closer to the occupied pedestals and looked up at the trapped criminals. Misbehavior's way had no need for cages or chains. Instead, Queen Moss used an elite unit of high-fleeing soldiers, all recruited to the job because they had a nerve poison in their claws or tail stinger. Once the criminal, or misbehavior, was stabbed, that dragon wouldn't be able to move for an entire day. I've read about this, Cricket said, shifting her wings uncomfortably, but it's not what I pictured. Blue kept walking. He could see the colors of the prisoners with a glance, but it was hard to avoid getting caught by their expressions. Many of their faces were frozen in a rictious of rage or fear. Most of them had been paralyzed while trying to run or fight, so they were contorted in odd positions, stuck there until the toxin wore off. They passed a pale pink silkling with a long rose petal wings. His tongue outstretched as though he'd been pleading for mercy, his snout still wet with tears. They passed a snarling scarlet hivewing in a defensive tr- crouch, teeth bared. Another silkwing 
and shades of turquoise and tan looked as if though she'd been trying to leap into flight when she was caught. Her neck was strained hopelessly toward the ceiling. Her wings were in an awkward, half-open position that would probably feel awfully sore when they could move again. I thought they'd be asleep, Cricket said in a small voice. I thought the toxin knocked them out, like putting them in a temporary coma. She glanced up at the frozen dragon and flinched away. But these dragons, are they awake in there? So they can see everyone watching them? Do you think it hurts? It does, Blue said. Swordtail says getting stabbed feels like fire burning every nerve in your body. Eventually the pain fades, but you're still paralyzed. So all you want to do is run or fly or even blink, but you can't move a single muscle until the toxin wears off. Everything about Misbehavior's way featured in his reoccurring nightmares. I didn't know, she said. I can't believe that I thought this was right here and I had no idea. I'm a terrible dragon. I don't think so, Blue said. He inhaled sharply as they rounded a bend in the path. There, that's Swordtail! He darted forward, skidding to a stop at the base of Swordtail's column. Swordtail's paralyzed wings were spread and wide, his tail frozen as it lashed back and forth. One of his front talons were outstretched, and the claws curved as though he were about to slash someone's face. It was a little scary, honestly, seeing his friend on attack like that. Swordtail's expression was determined and desperate, as though this was his very last chance to save the world. Hey! Blue reached softly at him. Swordtail couldn't react, but Blue knew he could still hear. It's me, Blue. This is Cricket. We're going to... What are we going to do here? He asked Cricket. Pick him up and carry him out of here? She wrinkled her snout at him, a glimmer of her cheerful side, sneaking, though for the first time they'd stepped into misbehavior's way. I'm sure that would be very inconspicuous. She crouched on the cobblestones, took off her bag, and unrolled the pouch of vials. They gleamed like raindrops on the flower petals in the light, shining from above. I don't know if this will work, she said, pushing her glasses higher on her snout. I thought we need to wake him up, but this one might... But this one might be better. Cricket selected a liquid the color of grass and bathed, and gave Blue a wry, nervous look. At least this is we, what we use to save plants that have been poisoned. On plants? He said. Is it safe for dragons? I think so, she said. I've never... Have I ever tried it on dragon? Not exactly. But it shouldn't t- make things worse anyway. This was not a comforting, most comforting answer. Blue looked up at Swordtail, wishing his friend could give him some sort of a sign. Was Sortel willing to risk a mysterious, unproven, possible antidote from the strange hivewing? Or would he rather be left alone? Who am I kidding? Sortel would risk anything to save Luna. I'm the one who would find it too scary. Do you want me to try it out on him? Cricket said. I understand if you don't. I do, Blue said. I think we have to. He glanced back along the deserted path. He had a feeling that everyone in the hive was at home recovering from the queen's mind control earlier, and that's why they had seen so few dragons out. But he was also afraid that Wasp might seize control of them at any again at any moment. He could imagine trying to fight his way out of the hive alongside Cricket, but with Swordtail, they might stand a chance. And Swordtail would be able to rescue Luna. He was strong and brave and not afraid of hiving soldiers. All right, Cricket said. How am I going to do this? Let's think. She poked through the vials and drew out the tweezers she'd used on the flame silk in the library. Blue hadn't even noticed she'd brought them along. Find me a big rock, she said to Blue. That wasn't too hard here. Blue found a loose cobblestone and kicked it until he could wobble it free. He brought it to Luke Cricket and she beat her wings once, twice, three times, just enough to lift her 
up to the light over Swordtail's head. Here she hesitated, glancing down. Can you cover his eyes for me? She asked Blue, and keep yours closed too. Blue climbed to bounce awkwardly on the corner of the pedestal, where he could lean sideways and put his talons over Swordtail's eyes. Obediently, he closed his own as well. There was a smashing sound from above him, and tiny bits of glass pattered down all over him and Swordtail. He shook his head and squinted to open his eyes into the new brightness. Sorry about that, Cricket said. Are you all right? He nodded. She was using the tweezers to work the flame silk thread out. He couldn't look straight at her or the thread without getting a headache. A moment later, she had it free. He hopped down to the ground and took his place on the pedestal. Within a few careful strokes, she burned through Swordtail's wrist cuff in the same way she'd burned off Blue's. Blue met Swordtail's as eyes as a heavy band clunked to the ground. He didn't think he was imagining the spark of jubilation in them. All right, moment of truth, Cricket said. Would you mind passing me the vial? Very, very carefully. He uncorked it and held it high, keeping his claws steady as he could while she reached down for it. Now you might want to know... Now you might want to hold your breath, she said. Clearsight only knows what this could do to us. Eep, this is such a cool experiment. I feel like a really, real scientist, don't you? She took a deep breath herself and dropped the flame silk into the vial. The liquid started bubbling furiously. Cricket clamped the tweezers around the vial and held it out under Swordtail's snout. Green smoke boiled up from the top of it, enveloping Swordtail's face in a thick emerald cloud. Blue stared up at them, his heart pounding. Chapter 12 Please work, Blue prayed. Please, please be alright, Swordtail. Clearsight, if you're listening, please set him free. They waited several long, agonizing moments, all three dragons frozen in place. And then Swordtail's twitched suddenly, violently, knocking Cricket off the pedestal with one flailing wing. Bloom jumped to break her fall. The vial shattered on the stone path, spilling what was left of the hissing green chemical. Cricket scrabbled over to pick up the flame silk in her tweezers again, tucking the thread into a small stone jar with the tight lid that she'd also hidden in her bag. Swordtail let out a gasp. His jaw clenched, his eyelids closed, and slowly he lowered his reaching talon, shaking it hard as though he had been asleep. Swordtail, Blue said. Blue, Swordtail croaked. He opened his eyes and gingerly inched his head round to look down at them. The poison seemed to be wearing off gradually, from his face through his wings and back at last to his tail. Do you feel all right? Cricket asked him. Anything weird? How's your nose? Did that hurt? I hope it didn't hurt, but it might have. I don't know. Plants can't re- tell us if it exactly tell us if it does. Are you dizzy? How are your lungs? Swordtail raised one talon to feel the trickle of dried blood on his neck. All right, he said thickly. Cricket, Blue whispered. Are his eyes supposed to be turning green? The whites of Swordtail's eyes, around his normally dark blue irises, were turning a shade of emerald green, only slightly paler than the liquid from the vial. Oh, fascinating, Cricket said. Why would that happen? Is it affecting your vision? Are you all right? She asked Swordtail. He blinked a few times. Bit greenish, he offered. No, wait, uh-oh, definitely bad. Blue is all the wrong colors. Oh, oh no. Oh no, Blue said. That's just paint, don't worry. Ha, huh, Swordtail said. Sure, sounds normal. Swordtail crouched, then arched his back into a stri- 
fetch like a jungle cat. He flared his wings and leaped down from the pedestal, landing in a wobbly sprawl. Oops, he said. Legs, disagreeing with me. He sat down heavily and frowned at his feet. Whoa, very demanding legs. Cricket, you're a genius, Lou said. I can't believe that worked. Neither can I, she said. I should write a paper about this. No, a book. I mean, it's a real scientific breakthrough, right? We could... She stopped, realizing what she was saying. Oh, no, I guess I can't do that. The queen probably wouldn't appreciate it. Appreciate it, Blue agreed. Sartail looked at them, a gleam in his newly green eyes. But I know some dragons who would be very interested, he said. His voice was only a little bit slurred now. Very, very, very ever so interested. Does he mean the chrysalis? Blue wondered. He glanced back along the path at the other frozen figures. Would they set all these prisoners free if they knew how Cricket did it? And if they did, what would happen then? He imagined all the prisoners staggering off their pedestals, green-eyed like Swordtail, all of them angry and free at the same time. Would they attack the Hyphen soldiers? Or would they all run away? What does the chrysalis want, exactly? Swordtail shook his wings out again. Blue, wow, I can't believe it's you. I mean, it's amazing that it's you. You here, all kinds of amazing. He opened and closed his mouth a few times, as if trying to make all his muscles work again. That is, I mean, of all dragons I might have expected to come rescue me, he said. You and a strange little hyphen are probably the last on the list. But thank you. Did I say thank you? I've been thinking thank you very loudly. Probably should say it a few times. He touched Blue's shoulder with one of his talons, and then let go and gave an odd odd hop sideways. Swordtail's whole body seemed to be vibrating just a little bit. Io tried to get me away, Blue said, but we had to split up. Cricket saved me. Are you all right? Cricket asked Swordtail. What are you feeling right now? And what happened to Luna? Swordtail asked, all his manic energy. Suddenly focused on the question. Blue shook his head. I'm not sure, but we think they've taken her to where the queen keeps all her flame silks. We think it might be in or near Wasp Hive. So that's where we're going next, Cricket interjected. Blue blinked at her. That sure sounds like she's coming too. He didn't want to ask. He was afraid to jinx it. But he smiled at her when she looked his way, and she smiled it back. I should get help, Sir Tail said. His tail started lashing back and forth, like a whip, but he didn't seem to notice. His claws extended and closed, his ears flicked up and down. Even his antennae were fully unfurled and waving around. Help is a useful thing. Dragons and I can reach. There are dragons I can reach out to. The chrysalis? Cricket asked. How will you find them? What can they do? He narrowed his eyes at her. How do you know about the chrysalis? She doesn't, Blue said quickly. She knows as much as I do, which is pretty much nothing. Then it should stay that way, Swordtail growled. His sort of so- shoulders twitched, making wings fl- his wings flutter up and back. Let's see. It, could t- it would take a while. Leave a message, wait for a response. We'd have to find a safe place to hide. Blue doesn't have time to wait for other dragons, Cricket said. He needs to get as far away from this hive as possible before dawn. That's when the queen is going to take over everyone again and send them out looking for him. You can stay and contact the chrysalis if you want, Blue said. But we're leaving right now, Cricket finished. We are, Blue thought with a little glow of happiness. Cricket and me. To find Luna? Sartail asked. Blue nodded. Then I'm coming with you. 
he said. Yes, to save her. That is the most me thing can do. I am most definitely coming with you. He flexed his claws and bounced in place for a moment. Then Swordtail suddenly ran at the stone pedestal and smashed his shoulder into it. Swordtail! Blue yelped. Swordtail looked at him, grinning. Large cracks had appeared all along the stone. Look what I did, he said. I feel like I could knock off over everything. All the columns, any building, the whole hive! Shh, Blue said with alarm. Cricket, is this normal? I have no idea, she said wide-eyed. What I gave him is sort of a stimulant, and it does make plants grow bigger and faster. I feel bigger, Swordtail declared at a horrifying volume. I feel faster! He turned and sprinted away down the path. "Uh Uh-oh, Cricket said. Um, any chance he's always like this? No, Blue cried. This is definitely weird. Hmm, she said. How long do you think it'll last? How would I know? Crash! Something up went something up ahead of them. Thud! Smash! Ha ha! Swordtail shouted. Blue bolted after his friend, Cricket close behind him. They found Swordtail merrily lifting enormous rocks and throwing them at the wall of the hive. Even paralyzed, the two nearest prisoners somehow managed to look alarmed. What are you doing? Blue yelped, catching Swordtail's arm. Making us a door, Swordtail answered. I'm in construction, you know. This is totally my job. He lifted another boulder, which looked much heavier than anything Blue could have picked up, and hurled it at the wall. The tree stuff was already splintered and cracked, with several small holes in it. Hey, Grasshopper! Swordtail shouted, making Blue jump. Look how hard I'm working! Are you happy now? Swordtail, be, please be quiet, Blue begged. It's probably too late for that, Cricket said, glancing back along Misbehavior's way. Take that! Swordtail yelled. He heaved an entire stone tablet out of the ground and threw it as hard as he could. It smashed right through the side of the hive and plummeted out of sight. Blue stared at the gaping hole that was left. Fragments of tree stuff feathered out on all sides of it, and wood-smelling dust hazed the air. This is vandalism, he thought, and destruction of hive property. The, there are definitely rules about this, possibly on that tablet Swordtail just hurled through the wall. On the other side of the hole, he could see clouds rimmed with moonlight and the far-off lights of another hive, where other, where other dragons are having a perfectly normal evening that doesn't involve getting painted, hiding from soldiers, or watching their friends lose their minds. Let's go, Swordtail cried, charging to, toward the opening. I can't, Blue said. We're too high. I don't have wings, remember? I'll carry you, Swordtail said enthusiastically. I can do it. I'm as strong as ten dragons. I can carry both of you at the same time. Absolutely not, thank you, Cricket said. My own two wings work perfectly fine. She turned toward Blue. I think we have to go out this way, don't you? We can't go back. There must be guards coming to investigate the noise. Are you sure you want to come? Blue said. You could go home now. You could be safe and stay out of this whole mess. And never find out what happens? She adjusted her glasses and smiled at him. Are you kidding me? Shortail flapped his wings at Blue. Time to fly, short stuff! He shouted. By all the hives, Shortail, what is happening to you? 
Blue asked. Instead of answering, Swordtail shot a long strand of silk at him and snared Blue's shoulders. He tugged Blue closer and wove several more strands into a quick harness to bind them together. Blue noticed that Swordtail's silk had also turned a strange new shade of pale green. I'm not sure this is a good idea, Blue said nervously as Swordtail clasped his front talons around Blue's chest. This close to the hole, he could see the rippling grass far, far below him. Not that light, and it's... I'm not that light, and it's a long way to... Oh, to the moons! Swordtail hollered, leaping out into the air. Blue felt a terrifying plummeting feeling in his stomach as they lurched awkwardly for a moment down and down again toward the savannah, then suddenly up, sideways, and up, and finally away, beating forward at a steady pace. The wind whipped in Blue's face. It was cold out here in the dark, and after the close warmth of the hive, he peeked backward and saw Cricket soaring alongside them. Get it? Swordtail said conversationally. Because Luna is like lunar, which means moons. So to the moons is like Luna, but is like to Luna, but in code. So awesome. I thought it was cle- that it was clever. He kept chatting or chattering as he f- flew, as though he couldn't stop the flow of words coming out of him. Blue looked back again, this time at the vast shape of cicada hive and the silvery tangles of the webs far overhead. He thought of Burnett and Silverspot, sleeping alone in their cell for the first time since Luna had hatched. Could they sleep, or were they lying awake, wishing they'd been wrong about Admiral, or worrying about Luna and Blue? Will I ever see them again? His home was disappearing behind him. He didn't know what was ahead. He only knew that he couldn't turn back, and so he looked out towards the dark savannah and let his friends carry him forward into the night. Thank you.